The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. Our New Testament reading this morning comes to us from Isaiah chapter 1. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. Your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. In your very presence, foreigners devour your land. It is desolate as overthrown by foreigners. And the daughter of Zion is left like a booth in a vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. God, we thank you for your word. Her name is Sandra Lee, and not only has she pursued a career in dermatology, She has also gained international fame as the host of a six-year reality television show on TLC called, wait for it, wait for it because I think it reveals a new low we have reached in Main Street Media. The name of the show is Dr. Pimple Popper. And in the show, Sandra meets with patients who have gargantuan-sized skin irritations be it a pimple, or a boil, or a cyst, and the camera closes in on the problem as she uses her training to pop open the pimples and provide the necessary relief to the pressure that's been building up behind that pimple. The question we have to ask is this, I think, why, why would millions of people want to watch Such a close-up graphic image that we would find otherwise, like, nauseating. Why are millions of people spending six seasons watching this show? Dr. Amy Weschler, she's a New York doctor who's a dermatologist, but she's also a psychiatrist, says this. These videos can give viewers a vicarious pleasure and even produce a little rush. She says, there are so many people out there who like to pop their own pimples 
They're usually smaller than the ones that are on these videos, and they get pleasure out of seeing something come out from the body that doesn't belong. You're all shaking your head like, but I watched video. I got on YouTube. I was like, oh, I can see what they're talking about. There is some relief. It was just a little blackhead video, but I watched all these blackheads, and I was like, oh, there's something about that that is, gives a little bit of pleasure, that things are cleaning up inside that body. Pleasure out of seeing something come out of the body that doesn't belong. Friends, what if this were the same motivation which inspired Isaiah to write the first few lines of poetry to this book of prophecy, what I just read? The words at the beginning, the beginning, the first words of this epic poem are anything but pleasant. Why would Isaiah begin here? Each week as I prepare a sermon, what I do is I write out Basically, the words that I'm not sure that I fully understand, you know, and I want to make sure I get a good biblical definition of some of these words. Uh, So I fill my legal pad with these words and definitions, and here's what I got this week as I stared at these words. Refusing authority, breaking God's law, weighty guilt, spoiled children, abandonment, disrespect, rejection, affliction, punches, bruises, defects, sickness, weakness, unhopefulness, open sores, bleeding wounds, worthless soil, extermination, and destruction. Hmm. Great way to start your sermon prep. Isaiah is opening his poem with all of these words, word pictures to open the wound for us to see that what is in us originally didn't belong in us. Rebellion, sin. What if the beginning of the true reality of Isaiah, which we talked about last week, the true reality of a God who saves a people who are rebels through a servant Savior, a God who saves a rebellious people through a servant Savior, what if the beginning of this true reality begins with a surgeon taking a scalpel and cutting us open, wounding us, in order that he might heal the infection that's within us. Deuteronomy 32, the Lord says this, I wound so that I might heal. What if we allow the surgeon through Isaiah to do his wounding work in us? What if we allow the Lord to wound you with the reality of your sin so that he can heal you with the relief of his salvation. That's what I'm proposing this morning. And I'm asking you to do is to allow the Lord to wound you with the reality of sin, of your sin, so that he can heal you with the relief of his salvation. You're going to have a reaction in you even now that is proof of what Isaiah is saying. It's like my boys when they go into a doctor's office when they were little and we tell them, today you're going to get a shot going to happen today they just they just freak out can we just go home can we just get out of here i'm so nervous or or if you've ever seen monty python's holy grail there's the black knight where he, he keeps getting his limbs cut off and he's trying to fight the the guy and he's like no i'm not dead yet it's just a flesh wound as his body is just falling apart we can do that we can just say no i'm fine i'm really fine as our limbs are completely cut off Allow the Lord to wound you this morning that he might heal you. The question I want us to ask Isaiah is to help us understand this. 
What have we done? What does our rebellion and our sin look like according to God? Two things we need to see. First, that we broke our Father's heart. And second, we believed we knew better than the Father who knows best. Once we see these two things more clearly, we'll begin to find relief to see what He has done in response. First, we broke our Father's heart. Look with me at verses 2 to 3. Isaiah says this, Hear, O heavens, speaking for the Lord, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. What this picture is trying to demonstrate is a judge entering into a courtroom of creation. Heaven and earth, pay attention. Order in the court. I'm going to tell you what is going on here. Who's being brought to trial? The judge enters the courtroom of creation, and who is he bringing to trial? His own kids. It's one thing to have a stranger come in and burglarize your home right? Steal your belongings and then try to kill you in your sleep. It's one thing to have a stranger do that. It's a completely other thing to have your own children do this. That's what the Lord is saying. When we talk about the true reality of sin, friends, we often look at it as a list of bad behaviors, things we need to correct and get better about. But when God wounds us in showing us our sin, he wants us to see our sin in light of relationship with him. I raised you kids. I changed your diaper, I fed you food, I gave you shelter, I protected you from bad guys. Not only that, I brought you up, he says. I brought you up, which in the Hebrew is like, I lifted you above, I like treated you as my favorite kids. And what did my kids do to me? They flipped me the bird. They told me to take a hike. You're dead to me, Dad. And the Lord is asking, how does this make sense? It makes zero sense. Sin is completely irrational and unthinkable. And then verse 3, it says, The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's feed trough, the crib. But Israel, my children, don't know. My people don't understand. If you think about ox and donkey, they were considered the least intelligent animals of all the animals in the kingdom. But what is God saying here? Even they know better than God's children. They know who to listen to. They know whose hand will provide for them. At the heart of the father's heartbreak is a refusal to know him as father and a rejection to understand his ways. To know in Hebrew, the word yada is a word of relationship. It's not head knowledge. Oh, yeah, I I know about God. No, it's experience. I know that God made me. I know that God saved me. It's got relationship attached to it. God rescued me. Naturally, we ought to love him back for how he's loved us. But what do we do instead? We respond worse than an ass. We break off the relationship. And it's completely unnatural. One author writes, and I think this is helpful for us to think about the measure of our breaking of God's law. The measure of our wrong against God is the same measure of His love invested in us. So, let me ask this question of you today. Do you often think of yourself 
as a guilty rebel against your father? Probably not. You're probably doing more complaining about the people who've wronged you. And that's a clear indication of the problem. When you think you're really not that bad, then verses 2 to 3 have proven completely true about you. When we argue against God's claim and verdict here, which we're doing when we minimize our sin, then we're actually bringing evidence into the courtroom. Because if you think about it, friends, His love for you goes beyond the depths of the ocean floor. His love for you goes beyond the edge of the atmosphere. Think about the measure. If you had to measure that distance of love, and take that measure, if you can even fathom it, and measure it against your love, your trust, your obedience to your Father. And you'll see why the Father's heart is breaking here. Because it's not even close. Joshua Rogers' daughter asked the question, where is Susan? As they were reading the book, The Last Battle, which is the last volume of C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. And she asked, where is Susan? And Susan was one of the four children. She was a child queen who helped her siblings save Narnia from the white witch in the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. You probably remember that one. However, in the last book, she's absent. She's not there anymore. Every character is besides her. And Joshua Rogers' daughter asked, well, Daddy, where, where is she? And he said, we'll see, with a tinge of sadness. He said, although I've tried to read the Chronicle of Narnia dozens of times since I was a boy, Susan's tragic end gets me every time, he says. Because the book eventually reveals that Susan grows up and outgrows her love for Narnia. We get very few details about her until right at the end of the book when the high king, Peter, responds to someone asking, where's Susan? And he says, my sister Susan, answered Peter shortly and gravely, is no longer a friend of Narnia. And someone else said, Eustace, who's a character who definitely knows God's forgiveness, says, yes, and whenever you try to get her to come here and talk about Narnia and do anything about Narnia, she says, what wonderful memories you have. Fancies, you still thinking about all those funny little games we used to play when we were little children. Susan thought she had become too grown up for thoughts of a great king like Aslan and a blessed land like Narnia. And though she had once experienced it, she outgrew it and left it all behind. That story breaks a father's heart because it shows us what's behind our rebellion, an outgrowing of God and His love for us. What have we done? We have broken the father's heart. Friends, how have we broken our Father's heart? By believing we know better than what our Father knows best. Look at verse 4 as this list begins. Ah, sinful nation. That ah is like an audible ache. And Isaiah gives short, 
like poetic punches in the gut to remind people, the people of God, who they are. Oh, you're criminals. You're a criminal nation. You're a guilt-heavy people. You're evil seed scatterers. You're spoiled, rotten children. What has happened here? What has caused all of these issues And the rest of verse 4 tells us, you have forsaken, which basically means you've divorced, you've abandoned, you've looked down upon the Holy One of Israel. The Holy One of Israel, the picture of perfection, you've looked down upon. We trade the perfection of the Holy One for lies, as we heard in Romans. We lower His value, we put Him on clearance. And exchange him for sickly substitutes. We trade him for idols. Good things that are raised up to become God things. We trade God's comfort, security, power, approval. For something that he made. Something he created. And if we don't completely trade it. We at least shack up with that idol. While we're still trying to remain in relationship with God. And Lewis, C.S. Lewis, his infamous quote addresses what's happening here. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but friends, too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and money and ambition when infinite joy is what's offered us. He says it's like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday by the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Friends, what happens is we're sitting in the mud pie slums of idolatry. Look at verse 5 and 6. Do you see what happens? Sickness and disease. Why will you be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? Isaiah is saying, you just keep, he- you keep beating your head against the wall and it's only hurting you. You hear the father's ache in these questions. Your head's sick. Your heart's failing from the bottom of you to the top of you. You're wasting away. You've got knife cuts. You've got lacerations from being punched. You've got bleeding sores from getting beaten. And none of your wounds are being tended to. That's what he says to them. This is God's judgment. His response to being rejected. This is his wrath. A removal of himself and his fatherly protection to leave them to their own devices. Like a sloth gaming in his parents' bedroom or basement. He's in the parents' basement gaming all day, 14 hours a day. Guess what's going to happen? You're going to develop bed sores just sitting there all the time. A glutton eating away her pleasures instead of finding pleasure in God becomes 500 pounds so that her bones begin to break as she's trying to walk. Her body can't hold her. A greedy businessman who eats small businesses for breakfast develops ulcers that are eating up his belly. All these physical punishments that come from us serving lesser things. And look what's happened to everything around them in verses 7 and 8. The land, it's ruined. Cities are on fire. There's nowhere for anything to grow anymore. And the only thing left 
is this reference to the daughter of Zion. What is, who is she? It's the capital city. It's Jerusalem. And even she looks like a little shack that's being overtaken by weeds. It doesn't take much, friends, for us to imagine how long it will be until this nation, which has divorced itself from the God it touted on its dollar bills that it trusts, it doesn't take much for us to imagine looking much like what Isaiah has promised here. We are far too easily pleased with ourselves and our stuff. Trading what's best, the holy God of Israel, for what we believe is better. Friends, we are not made to be apart from our maker. But this is the path our sin has chosen, believing we know what's better than what our Father knows best. When we chose this, when we chose this unnatural path of tearing up his law and getting rid of his perfections, it has consequences. One author illustrates this consequence this way. It says, if I chose to smash my car into a brick wall while traveling 100 miles an hour, I actually am experiencing the wrath of God. I'm experiencing the natural results of an unnatural act. The same is true in the spiritual realm. If I live in a way that's contrary to the way that I have been created, then it's like hitting that wall at 100 miles an hour. I will experience the destructive results of my unnatural behavior. I hope your sin is becoming clearer to you. And if there are areas that you don't see your rebellion clearly, let me help you by hurting you. Are you here today in worship so that you can feel better about yourself and your holiness? Then you've traded God for religion. You're not here to meet your Savior. You're here to be the Savior. Are your bad habits and your unbecoming behavior being blamed on someone else? You've just traded places with the judge. You're playing the blame game, and it's only going to heap more more judgment onto you. No matter how much you know about, in your head, the goodness of God, and even how much you know in your heart and have seen and experienced the goodness of God, would you, chill, would you still choose the pleasure of shopping instead? Of illicit sex instead? Of being right or self-righteous instead? Over a God who loves you, a Father who forgave you, and a Spirit who raised you from the dead? Does the purchase of a Costco couch or a Disney dream vacation or the promise of a Republican or a Democrat in the seat of power give you more comfort than the Christ. If you're able to admit that your life has been lived as if everything in it were better than what's truly best, the holy God of the universe, if you're ready to admit that, then you know what you deserve. 
You didn't want God now, so you won't have God later. Sinner, you deserve death. Sinner, you deserve being orphaned to the God that you have abandoned. You deserve an awful separation from him. Sinner, you deserve the eternal fires of hell. That's what we deserve. Apart from the mercy of God. Look with me at verse 9. If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Good news, sinner. Because of the mercy of God, verse 9 tells us we're embalmed instead of burned up. We're embalmed instead of burned up. Sodom and Gomorrah were cities in the Old Testament which were completely decimated as a result of sin. Sodom means scorched. Gomorrah means heap of trash. This is where we should be. But this is where a loving Father's mercy doesn't leave us. He embalms us instead of burns us up. How? tells us there's going to be a remnant, these survivors, a small set of people who remained after the fall of Israel, after the exile of Judah, after Isaiah sees all these things come to be. There's this small group of people that the Lord would preserve, people who trusted and believed, Lord, you're not going to leave us dead. You're faithful to us. You are steadfast to us. Yes, we are truly, truly sinners, but you don't leave us here. This remnant who believed from God, from the Father, would come some kind of preservation. Friends, we have to ask the question, how is the church still alive today? By being embalmed. I want to explain this real quickly as I close. A balm. What is a balm? A balm is a comfort. A balm is a relief. A balm is a remedy. You ever hiked in the hot sun for days and you get a cup of cool water flowing down your esophagus or flowing down your forehead? That's a balm. In the funeral home world, embalming, it's, it's the act of cutting open a dead person and removing their blood and putting in a preservative inside their body that will prevent it from decaying. <laughs> in a world of a merciful God, embalming is this. It's the act of cutting you open by showing you the reality of your sin, letting you bleed out, but then infusing you with a different blood, the blood of Christ inside of a sinner to keep it from destruction. The mercy of God 
would send one faithful son, one completely obedient child, one who would bind our wounds by being wounded for us, who would be pierced, who would be cut open, who would be treated like sinners deserve to be treated for all of our rebellion, one who would be made sick, who would be crushed, who would be struck down, bruised in the head, pierced in the hands and the soles of the feet. Without this preservative mercy, all of us would be burned in the fire of Sodom and laid on the ash heap of Gomorrah. When we are crushed by our rebellion, when we see our sin clearly, we see the crucified all the more dearly. Your sin can simply just wound you, then you'd be a masochist. Just feel bad about everything you've done without any ounce of healing. Don't stay there. See that sin, see that wounding. And go to the one that says, by my wounds, you can be healed. By my stripes, you can be helped. Give up the game of believing you are good. And be preserved instead by the man on the wood. Who became the guilty rebel son and who covers you in mercy forgiven one let's pray father your mercy is what we plead this morning We probably want to avoid the topic a little bit more. Maybe say, okay, sermon's done. Don't need to think about this. But Lord, I pray that you would, for our people, give us the ability to pray. Show me the true reality of my sin. Show me the true reality of my sin. Make the bad news worse. so that the good news can be great. Wound us, Father, that you might heal us. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen.